Yo, what's going on? This is Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 247. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Are you short on time when it comes to training your restaurant staff? Well, if you are, don't worry. I'm sure you're not alone. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. You can find that light by visiting Tipsy for a whole library of video courses delivered by world barista champions, leading sommeliers, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Learn more by clicking the Tipsy banner in the show notes. If you choose to subscribe today, you'll get a special 50% discount because your restaurant unstoppable listeners get on it with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest Arlene Lloyd Arlene I know you're feeling unstoppable I don't even have to ask but just tell us you are anyway most definitely not only unstoppable stoppable but very very powerful oh yes i cannot wait to dive into your story so arlene lloyd has been in love with cooking since she was five years old once she was tall enough she began creating malt watering delights in real kitchens arlene studied at fiu in miami and earned her bachelor's in marketing and her master's in international business arlene followed the standard progression after college and became a corporate executive in marketing Arlene found herself constantly gravitating towards kitchen equipment and all it had to offer. Finally, in 1987, she realized her passion and opened a catering business with both wholesale and retail divisions in Miami, Florida. She is currently the executive chef at Alchemy of the Hearth and teaches culinary classes within San Diego County. This is obviously just a huge aerial view of who you are, what you've accomplished. I can't wait to really dive into your story and how you got to where you are today, Arlene. But before we get started, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us? Well, I've got um, quite a number, but my most favorite one comes from St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, he said, start by doing what's necessary, then do what's possible, and then settling you're doing the impossible. It's great because lots of times we can become overwhelmed by our thought processes. We're always fight- fighting the battle of our mind. And this is your first steps. Okay, I can do this because I have to do this Mm. and then once you get into doing whatever it is that you really need to do for example you have to feed yourself otherwise you can't function without you know having fuel um before you know it, you're doing everything that's possible you forget about your fears and you move forward and as you continue to move forward before you know it you're actually doing what you think you couldn't do yeah and you know when i hear that quote i can't help but think of one of the biggest lessons i've learned arlene just interviewing so many successful people like yourself and that's that you didn't open you know the doors and to this massive operation it wasn't some gigantic like you with your catering company i mean you started small and most places most restaurants that are successful today that are have you know 10 12 locations they started with one small location and they did what was necessary then they did what was possible and now it looks like they've achieved the impossible but it's all about scalability it's all about starting small and being reasonable and constantly growing and that's kind of what how that resonated with me do you have anything to say to, to that no, you're 100% right. It is. Um, dreams are great. Uh, you know, you can, 
we have to live with dreams. If we don't have dreams, we're actually dead. That's mm-hmm. basically it. So it's wonderful to dream a really big picture. Like one of the things that I tell uh, those that I consult with and my students is that it's great to think of having, you know, 15, 20 shops. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's wonderful. But you've got to, you have to crawl. And you have to start somewhere. And when you start somewhere, then you're able to go ahead and keep scaling. Just like you said, the scalability, it's it's really wonderful. And those who are successful, we do start little by little, little by little. Patience is huge. It takes time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So uh, you have a real unique story. And I discovered you through a good friend of mine, Joe uh, Fontana. Uh, Great guy. He's been through your courses. He's done amazing things with his life. And you helped him get get there so um let's kind of you know you know well i'm gonna rewind a little bit and say after just like listening to everything he had to say i I said to myself i've got to get arlene on the show so here you are Uh, i can't wait to dive into your story so why don't you tell us a little bit more about the path you took and how you got into this industry and how you got to you know become who you are well, basically, like you said in the intro, I've been in love with cooking since I was five years old. I had a, I have a mother who didn't know how to cook. I grew up in New York, and my neighborhood was an Italian-Jewish neighborhood. And uh, I learned to cook with the grandmothers within the neighborhood, um, people from the old country who didn't speak English. I would be their assistant while my friends were out on the street playing, and I was just fascinated to see them create this magic out of nothing. So I was always really blown away by it. And uh, in my house, you didn't cook. You were to become, you know, an educated person. So I went to college, got my degrees, became a marketing exec. Uh, But the whole time, I've always gravitated to uh, the kitchen. And (laughs) I've had a number of people tell me that when I would see stainless steel, I would be like, shiny, 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 and I'd smack myself against it like a magnet, and I'd be crazy, you know, (laughs) a collection of pots and pans and knives and everything that you can think of. And basically, long story short, when I got married, um, went to Europe, uh, came back, opened a small gift basket company, which within three months turned into a uh, catering arm. And from there, it then grew into both retail and wholesale divisions. And I'm not talking about a a small company. It was a a nice size, mid-sized company. And I had it for quite some time. Uh, throughout that whole time, I went ahead and, you know, continued. I, I got educated as far as the food world was concerned, and I started traveling and cooking and meeting um, people who could train me and who could mentor me, and um, long story short, ended up uh, doing that for 10 years, and then the bomb hit, I burnt out. Mm. So it's kind of a full circle story full circle story. Left Miami and all of this happened in Miami. When I left Miami, uh, moved to California, uh, decided to go back. I had sold my business in Miami, decided to go back into marketing and um, did that for a little while and realized I was really disillusioned with it. It was soul sucking. It just took everything out of me. It wasn't exactly what I wanted to be doing. And, you know, when I hit uh, San Diego, I was going to open a restaurant, and I said, hmm, don't want to work that hard. I'm at a point in my life where, you know, I want to do what really uh, sings to my soul. And I decided to open a school because proprietary culinary schools were now all the rage, and I was really upset with how much money they were charging people to become educated in food. 
It is driving me crazy. Nobody but nobody should walk out of a culinary school with a student loan debt of $40,000 to $120,000 to cook. Mm-hmm. especially when you're a minimum wage earner in the beginning. It's ludicrous. Mm-hmm. So my way of revolting against the industry was by opening up a boutique culinary school, which is based on the um, the concept of apprenticeship, how I learned, because I was apprenticed uh, by a group of um, chefs who compete in the uh, Culinary World Olympics uh, in Miami with a, one of the largest uh, suppliers, of products, um, the Swiss Chalet. And from there, I learned that where you really learn is hands-on. And where you really learn is when you have somebody who can show you what they know, and then they push you out because they know it's time for you to go learn from somebody else. Absolutely. And I I really was pulled into your story because uh, I feel like sometimes we forget that there's other uh, there's other ways to, to do what you love in this industry. It's, you don't always just have to open a restaurant to, to be around food and to create happiness for people. And you really took a unique path and you decided to be an entrepreneur, uh, not just a restaurant tour, but like an entrepreneur and do something and serve the industry in a way that uh, it wasn't being served. And uh, I kind of just want to make an example of you, Arlene, because I feel like sometimes we get so tunnel folk or like tunnel vision, like this is the only thing I have to do, open a restaurant. But be creative. Um, there's so many different ways you can be in this industry with food and beverage or whatever and uh, you know, meet a niche that's not being met. And uh, it's super great. And I, I'm curious, um, what made you burn out? Why did you get so burnt out uh, with the catering? What was it that was sucking the life out of you? Well, one of the things that happens with catering, I think catering is the hardest of all of the um, the things you can do within the food industry because you're a turtle. You carry your restaurant on your back. Um, nothing is the same every single day, and there's a lot of challenges. Uh, the reason that I burnt out, um, I had the busiest season that I had had. My company had grown leaps and bounds. It was really, um, it was a fabulous company, to tell you the truth. But it got to the point where, um, well, I'll give you the story that I give most of my um, my students, is that it was Christmas Eve, and it was, uh, I'd say, about 3 o'clock in the morning, um, and I was lying on the floor of my office with a balloon as a pillow, crying my eyes out because we were so busy, we weren't going to stop uh, the holiday deliveries until well after the new year, and then we were getting ready to go right into um, the events because we would do things like the Lipton Tennis Tournament, and we handled a lot of, of the major corporations in Miami. And it was, on one hand, you know, the dream that you've always wanted, and then on the other hand, it was, all-encompassing, and it was just swallowing you whole. Mm-hmm. And it has something to do with a, a life-work balance and um, also at the same time uh, really understanding yourself and understanding who you've aligned yourself with. Now, I had a tremendous amount of employees. Uh, my average employee normally, uh, I had 23 employees that were there, you know, chefs and cooks and bakers and everything that you could think of. And then during the holiday, I would scale up to almost 150 people. Uh, but it came to a point where I was no longer having fun. Mm. I no longer enjoyed what I was doing. Why, it was why do you think that happened? What, what, make, because, what happened that it changed? I lost sight of what the whole point of the business was. When I started the company, it was really to keep that 
life-work balance to make sure that I could travel, to make sure, you know, that my husband and I would have uh, a, a business that we would be proud of, but at the same time that it wasn't going to suck everything out of us. And what changed, basically, is the fact that I'm good at what I do. Mm. And I kept attaining the next level and the next level and the next level and the next level, and um, I didn't stop until it actually stopped me. So that's pretty much it. You can lose sight of what your dream was initially, and you chase the dollar, and that's what you know pretty much started happening. Let's get clear um, on real quick on what that sight was. Paint that picture of what your vision was for your, your business in the beginning. The basic point of having this catering company was to uh, be able to enjoy life as well as enjoy what we were doing. Love doing parties, love doing food, love doing, you know, um, bakery items, um, the whole thing. Uh, we were well known for our weddings, and the wedding industry, as you know, is very fraught with a lot of tension, yeah. uh, a lot of crazy people, <laughs> 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 a lot of uh, insanity, um, but loved it, loved it and truly enjoyed it, and that was one of the things. I wanted to bring something special to the world. Um, well, to my city, to Miami. Um, Miami being a very diverse city and being a very uh, uh, a great city, at that time they didn't have all of these types of niche um, uh, type of caterers. They had the generalized ones or the institutional ones. And I wanted to do something really, really unique. And I did. I actually, I did. It was really wonderful. But as I said a few minutes ago, because I'm very good at what I do and I continued to grow and I continued to grow until, you know, we started out as a wholesaler, then we went into the retail and we opened up retail stores. And as we kept growing and growing and growing, the dream was no longer about having a good time. Mm -hmm. The dream was, I'm going to make... X amount of dollars this year, and now the goal is to make X, X amount of dollars this year, and boy, can you believe this? Look at what we're doing. Mm. You know, I pulled an idea out of my ass, and here it is. You know, it's like, wow, this, this baby has grown into baby Huey, and now what am I going to do with it? Um, so that's pretty much what it was. It, 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 it became exactly what I had hoped it would become, but... At the same time, I wasn't fully cognizant of everything that you lose along the way. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a few things that are coming to mind when I hear you tell this story. And uh, the big thing for me, and first let me ask you, if there is one thing with all, the, all that you've learned now, uh, being a consultant, helping other people achieve their dreams, and if you were looking back at yourself and say like your past version of yourself came to you and looked for you for counsel and told you the story, like what would your advice been to them at this time? If you give that you know, piece of advice to yourself, like what was the one thing you would have done? that would have helped you through this process, this, this whole like burnout phase? To make sure that um, the person you partner with, both in business and in life, um, is going to have your back. Mm. That's See. basically it. Because like in the end, I'll, you know, I'm perfectly honest with you, in the end, my whole career in food has been wonderful and everything, but it did end up costing me my marriage. Mm. So, you know. Oh, well, you know, it is what it is. Unfortunately, he had a midlife crisis and he went nuts. So, 
you know, hence the title of my book, Cooking My Way, my cookbook, Cooking My Way Through My Husband's Midlife Crisis. But the reality is, and I think one of the things that you really have to be really, really um, upfront with and strong about and uh, truly open your eyes to is that you must know that your partner is in bed with you all the way. Mm-hmm. All um, the way. I, I couldn't agree more. That's huge. And I'm happy that you mentioned that and you bring that up. But one thing, just listening to your story, one thing I've heard so many times is uh, you have that vision early on. You have that mission early on that, that you have that's, you know, that sings to your heart that's so important to you. Write it down and remind yourself every day as to why you're doing the work you're doing. If you get consumed by the wrong things like money, like trying to build this huge thing bigger and better, and like you lose focus as to why you started in the first place. And it sounds oh, like I that, agree. that's what mm-hmm. happened with you. Like you lost your focus. You forgot that this was supposed to be for fun. And maybe that's when it started to, to kind of get away from you and become, uh, you know, something that you never wanted it be, to become. Um, that's what I took away from that. Well, it's not so much that it became something I didn't want it to become because it actually hit every point on the business plan. Mm. It did exactly what it needed to do. Uh, where I wasn't clear was how far I was willing to, Mm. uh, well, actually let me, let me go this way. Where I wasn't clear is, um, about letting go where I needed to let go. Mm. You know, that's basically it. My name was on it. So, um, I'm not a perfectionist, but I am very much a a person that if my name is attached to it, I have a lot of integrity, and I want to make sure that things are the way they need to be. So it, it's a question of understanding yourself, understanding who you're aligned with, understanding, uh, yeah, you can hit all of the um, guideposts along the way and all of the, you know, the financial, um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for, uh, hit every every number that you're looking to hit. Yeah. Uh, and you just have to remember, I, I totally agree with you. You have to know your why. And that's yeah. one of the biggest things that I always tell everybody. What's your why? Mm. You know, wh- what is it? And how make yourself understand yourself. Because it's not so much about just having the dream. It's understanding why you have this dream. Yeah. And what is it going to do for you? We're going to talk about your why in a little bit. I can't wait to, to go over that. But real quick, you said something um, that really just stood out to me. You said you, you have to let go of where you need – wait, you need to know. Wait, I can't remember exactly how you said it. I think yeah, you know, knowing when to let go. Knowing yes. when to let go. So <laughs> give me an example of what you needed to let go from. Like, Get specific there because I'm a little confused as to what exactly you meant. Um, it, it, again, it, it boils down to life work balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I am a workaholic. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, it's understanding when you need to stop. Uh, I'll give you a very basic, um, example. Okay. And this, this will be kind of good. It's like, uh, I was very well known for decorating, um, for wedding cakes. Uh, I was one of the top designers of wedding cakes in, in Miami. And, uh, I never, ever looked at one of my wedding cakes and saw it as finished. Mm. I never thought they were absolutely gorgeous. I always saw what I could continue to do. Mm -hmm. And I could add this or I could do that or whatever. It took a lot over the years to actually learn to stand back and, and just let it go. Yeah. To let it go. It reminds me so much of Ari Weinswag and his, uh, 
one of the things he talks about in his books is your strengths are your weaknesses. And it sounds Mm -hmm. like for you, uh, your strength is that constant pursuit to be better than you were the day before. And just constantly, you know, progressing and being better and better. But when does that become a weakness? (laughs) Like when, and it sounds like it became a weakness for you because it, it just, you wouldn't, you were almost insatiable and exactly mm-hmm. and uh that can be a weakness because we're in this work like you say for the happiness right so oh so different yeah tough. so catch 22 there it is it is <laughs> because like you said it does become to your strengths do become your weaknesses um and especially if you're you're sitting there and you're saying to yourself you you base yourself on success on your numbers and you're going, well, I'm really making it. I'm doing it. Now I can outdo myself. Let me outdo myself again. And it's like chasing, you're on this merry-go-round, and you just keep chasing another gold ring and another gold ring. How many gold rings do you need? So, I mean, if you're listening to this right now and you're and you're saying to yourself, wow, I'm a lot like Arlene, like I'm that same person, like I don't know when to let go, make like a, a check mark or a point in your career or recognize this strength as a weakness and know when to let go, like make like a, I want to say like a bottom line, but like on the other side, like a top line, (laughs) like, like know when to let go. Well, one of the things that I learned from that, um, from that whole experience was I needed to not take it so personal. Mm. I needed to make sure that I understood that it was an entity. It wasn't me. And I think this is where the, the conversation is really headed. You know, I defined myself, um, by my business. And um, I learned that I didn't need to define myself by my business. Mm-hmm. I needed to define myself, you know, by myself and who I was deep down inside. And the business was an extension of who I was, but it was an entity. So one of the things that I'm always telling people who want to go into this business and the ones that I consult with is plan it as your baby, but also understand that the whole goal is for you to sell it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And stay very impersonal to it. Yeah. You know, you're going to grow it, you're going to grow it, you're going to grow it, you're going to sell it, and then you're going to move on and do something else. Yeah, or just make it, like you say, have that mentality. You don't necessarily have to sell it, but create it like you're going mm-hmm. to and get everything systematized, turnkey, and treating it like a business. If, you, if you're going to sell it, then you're, you're more than likely going to treat it more like a business than um, something that consumes you. So awesome stuff. Um, do you want to fast forward a little bit and uh, sure. talk about what you got going on now? Because we've talked a lot about your past, but let's let's talk about uh, this development of your, your uh, cooking classes, of this uh, culinary uh, courses that you put together and how this all started. Well, basically, as I mentioned earlier, you know, when I, um, uh, it was my way of going against the proprietary schools uh, who have come up with, uh, you know, the hot thing uh, in the 90s became uh, culinary school. Yeah. You know, in the 80s it was uh, beauty school. So everybody started going, you know, um, these proprietary schools started going in and putting in these programs. And they were enrolling people right and left. And the Food Network was very instrumental in making the food business look very, very sexy. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, everybody's going to come out. You know, I'm going to come out of school and I'm going to be this famous chef and everybody's going to be flocking to me. And that's, you know, that's not the truth. We know what it's like. So I, I was really... Um, I was pissed. I was pissed that people were coming out of these schools and owing so much money. So one of the things that I decided to do was, like I said, initially I was going to open a restaurant, and I said, no, I don't want to do that. I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to teach. I'm going to open up alchemy. And the first thing I thought of was, 
let me do this based on how I learned on an apprentice basis. Um, I only bring in a small group of people. My classes, uh, my programs in general are, are not packed. Um, depending on what a student may need, it could be one student who's with me for some time, it could be no more in the culinary side, no more than uh, six people, and in the baking side, it could be no more than three people. Mm -hmm. So it really depends. And then if you're developing a restaurant, it's a one-on-one. -on -one. So I took this idea and I started to run with it. Mm. And the first way that I made it happen, because trying to do this and, and fight the big guys would not have been very smart. So the way that I first started was I actually went to the adult schools, uh, the school systems, and I started to develop uh, culinary programs for them. And um, I did this uh, with um, Poway Adult School, Escondido Adult School. I then partnered with the colleges. And I started doing all of this uh, curriculum work using the same curriculum that the ACF uses, uh, the same curriculum that the CIA uses, but at a much cheaper and more realistic cost mm -hmm. for somebody to come in and, you know, learn. And what has happened basically from the whole thing is that the majority of my students are, are second careers. There are people who have done, you know, a job for a long time and they have had one career and they found themselves, um, you know, laid off or at a point where their business, uh, where their companies had gone under or whatever during the recession. And they decided they were going to go ahead and start opening up, you know, little cafes, little delis, some restaurants, some people developing products, uh, farmers markets, that type of thing. And they all had these ideas. Now, along with that are people who are much older. You know, we all know the restaurant business, it's uh, really a young man's game, a young woman's game. It, it takes a lot out of you. And when you hit 50, uh, you may find yourself with this dream, but the reality is it's hard on your body, on your mind, and on your spirit. Mm -hmm. um, and much of the time, the people who do come to me have already had you know, a bunch of knocks by life. Things have happened. So now they're going to take their savings and they're going to try to do something for themselves. So it was really imperative for me to make sure that I give these people the, the knowledge that they really need, you know, the knowledge that they need so that they could be successful. Mm -hmm. And it's turned out to be a really good thing because uh, everybody that's come through me, uh, what's very interesting is that uh, if you look at the statistics for culinary school graduates coming out of proprietary schools, uh, more than, I think uh, the stat is something like 87% end up not in the industry but wow. still with the, uh, um, the debt that they have from the student loans, and that never goes away. That, yeah. that, that doesn't disappear. In mine, 99% open up their own businesses and move forward from there. Wow, that's amazing. So it's a whole different, yeah, it's a whole different uh, thought process. And I still have contact with everybody. You know, they always come back uh, looking for more um, education, or I push them in the, in the next... Um, development stage of what they're doing. Sometimes it's product, sometimes it's, it, it's their next restaurant, maybe it's menu development, it doesn't matter, whatever it's going to be. Uh, so that's where it is. So that's how I ended up where I'm at, and I love it. It's, yeah. it's a passion that I have. Um, and there's something that I, I always tell everybody, and I want to get this in there. Food is deeper than what we know. Mm -hmm. 
food is not just about food. It's not just about hospitality. It's not about, um, you know, just what you eat and how pretty it looks. Food possesses your past, it possesses the present, and it leads you to your future. Mm-hmm. So it's much deeper. There's a history behind it. Um, and that's one of the things that I impart to everybody who comes my way. I don't care what you're doing. And what, however I'm consulting to you, I give you that history so you understand the why. Arlene, you're making my heart sing right now, and I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I get so frustrated when I look at people who create franchises or chains or they start a restaurant and they look at food as being a commodity. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just like, don't you know what food is? Don't you know how it's shaped us as human beings, how it's impacted our evolution? It's like exactly. – and you take this and you just say, here, like, I'm going to put it on a plate for as cheap as possible, you know, process, whatever. We just have totally spit on food and we totally take it for granted today. And uh, I'm happy that you understand that. And I really I'm also happy that you talked about the school system. And um, again, the school system uh, treating uh, hospitality and food service as a commodity. Um, and re- like, it's, it's just gone out of hand. And I always tell people, um, you know, I, if, if you really want to get into this industry, don't go to culinary school, go work for somebody who is the best at whatever it is you want to do, offer to work for free and bust your ass. Um, and if you were truly good at this, if you're passionate about it, they will help you get to where you need to be. And that's exactly what you do. And that's exactly what successful people do in this industry, whether they own a restaurant and, and that, I mean, that's how they get all these great people working for them because they're investing in those people. They're helping those people. They know that person, if they really got what it takes, is going to go on and do their own thing. So they give them an outlet and they say, hey, I'm just going to invest in you and help you grow with us. We grow as, as an entity, as a restaurant group, and the best people in the industry, you're doing exactly that. And you I way, agree. Yeah, and you found mm-hmm. a way just to make that your business, to develop Yeah, no, I that's, mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, I just want to say it's, it's that's one of the great things I um I noticed about you is I've I've just just realized all these successful people what they do is they invest in in those who come up underneath them and give them an opportunity to grow within the company uh, with a restaurant group. But you're saying, hey, like I don't want that part of it. Like I just want to invest in you and teach you everything I've known and teach you all about this food. And you do it in a way that's affordable and it really is about the person. Uh, and so just you know. Bravo. I love it. Yeah, no, and it, it's actually what we need to do. I mean, I, I truly believe, I, I am 100% with you about culinary schools. Um, the way that you learn in this industry is really through apprenticeship. Um, it's really doing it. It's not sitting in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I took that model, and that's how I created my, my school and my business. Um, you know, my consulting business and even my catering business because I do bring in interns and I have people with me for several years and, and then I do push them out the door yeah, and basically and say, you know what, it's time for you to go learn from somebody else. I can't give you anything you know, else. And especially the world we live in today, mm-hmm. really, where information is so accessible. Like with this, oh, sure. you can mm-hmm. learn anything you want to learn and there's services like your service. Um, I interviewed Chef Steps. It's another service, online services and like Salted. Like all of it's out there and it's and if you want that personal touch, that one-on-one, go to somebody like Arlene. But if, mm-hmm. you, if you learn on your own, then, you know, check out the uh, amazing, like, like infinite amount of resources that are online. Uh, there's no need to pay the money to, that people pay to go to a culinary. Yeah, but I'm going to have to 
disagree with you about okay. this online because I've got, um, you know, I have a real opinion as far as online is concerned. Yes, you can watch it on television. Yes, you can do whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you don't have somebody there to correct you. Yes, you could be true. doing something completely wrong and you don't understand why, mm-hmm. you know. So um, there is something about having hands-on. It's just the same thing. It's the same concept. Look, we're craftsmen. We're, we're all craftsmen. We're all tradesmen. And, you know, if you're a carpenter, sure, you can learn how to, you know, build a table. But if you have a master carpenter next to you, mm-hmm. you're going to really learn how to do things a lot simpler and actually in the right process. Yeah, and that table's you know, way better you know, than looking at. Yeah. I agree yeah, with you 100%. Like, there's yeah, nothing and, that can replace the human element. No, uh, absolutely not. And I think that's one of the things, going back to talking about food, the way that you said that they've turned it into a commodity, that's one of the things that's happened. People have forgotten that something dies, whether it's a plant, an animal, uh, whatever, something dies so that you can eat. Mm-hmm. You know, um, death is associated with food all the way through. You know, we are the ultimate predator. So the truth of the matter is when you lose that understanding, you lose a feeling for what mm. is being placed in front of you. So you lose the respect, you lose the honor, you, you lose everything that's associated with the life cycle. Absolutely. You know, and it's really important that we come back to that, that we go back to being tradesmen, that we go back to being craftsmen, that we go back to getting closer to the earth, you know. But- Maybe the world would be a better place than what it is right now if we did that. <laughs> so true. So true. Oh, man, this is turning out to be a great interview, Arlene. And I've got to ask you, um, you, you put the importance on this earlier. You really stressed the, the importance of why and something you do with all of your clients. So let me ask you, what is your why? Uh, what is your purpose? What, what makes you do what you do every day? Um, my why is very simple. I'm an instrument. Um, I... I'm, and this is a very spiritual um, philosophy because I believe uh, everything. I, let's back up a second. My philosophy is that we're spiritual beings having a human experience, mm-hmm. and um, I'm an instrument. I am meant to be used to go ahead and impart this type of knowledge. So my why is that I need to give. I'm here to give. That's basically I love it. it. Have you read the Go Giver? Yeah. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Book. I, love yeah. It. I had Bob Burke yeah. on the show not too long ago. Was, uh, oh really? Great. Yeah. Uh, but I mm-hmm. can agree with you more. Yeah, I love, I love yeah. that why it's so powerful. And um, this is usually in the part of the interview where I have you share a, a failure, a time where you just really kind of fell. Um, is there a different story that you had in mind for this part? Uh, you might have already told it when you burnt out after that ten-year stint with the catering company. Is there anything else you want to share with us? A time, a big lesson you took away from a failure you had. Well, you know what? I'm going to sort of rephrase the word failure. I don't believe in, in failure. I don't, I don't believe in that world. It has a negative, um, that word, it has a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. Um, what I uh, like to call it are life experiences, mm-hmm. all right? Everything that you do, whether it's positive or negative in, in your life or in your career or in anything that you do, it's really an experience. It's a lesson. Uh, that's really it. Um, my biggest failure... Uh, across the board, not just in the catering company. That was in choosing my partner. Mm-hmm. Again, my life partner and my business partner. And that was a huge eye-opener. That was a very big eye-opener that um, I had to learn. And, you know, I had my first uh, lessons when I had the catering company, and I really didn't take it to heart. You know, I was in my 30s, and 
uh, well, actually, it was in my it was ten years. I started in my thirties and my forties. Um, I just figured, well, you know, both my husband and I, you know, different ideas. He started out all gone ho, and then he was like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. But then when it came to opening the school, it was the same pattern, the same repetition. Oh, this is great. This is wonderful. And then all of a sudden, the mantra was, the kitchen takes you away from you know our life. When I tell all of my students who are doing this and who are in relationships, um, or even just with their families, is that they have to understand that this world changes you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's basically it. And everybody's got to be on the same page, and you've got to be able to communicate. So you have to be really sure about your relationships mm-hmm. and who you are partnering with mm-hmm. and why you're partnering with that person. So and, who should we partner with and why should we partner with certain people? See, this is, this is the other thing that's really hard about that because, like, I'm saying all of this, but there's no way that we'll know any of it until it actually happens mm-hmm. because it's, it, it, it's a crapshoot. It really is. You know, you can start out, um, everybody's on the same page, everybody agrees, everybody's communicating perfectly well, and then one day somebody says, you know, uh, well, this isn't what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. And and that's pretty common in this industry, yeah. you know. In this industry, families get torn apart, and uh, you know, husbands and wives, and it, it's just a common thing within the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's hard. I, I haven't found the solution because if I did, I'd be a multimillionaire. <laughs> you know? yeah. There wouldn't be any need for yeah. you know the the divorce world. <laughs> but <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, we don't know. We don't know anything more than ourselves. I mean, and even then, the majority of the time, we don't even know ourselves. Yeah, it, so, I'll, what's my solution? I'm, I'm talking over you, but one of the things that I want to tell you is, that what, what's my solution? My solution is work on you. Yeah. Uh, no, I couldn't agree more, and that's it's great. And, um, you know, it's just one of the things, like, I, I, there is no right answer, but a lot of it comes with luck, but... I, like what you just said, work on you. And if you, you attract what you are. So mm-hmm. if, if you make yourself the best version of yourself, you could possibly be that those who will be looking for partners are going to want to partner with you and you will attract greatness to yourself. Um, so that's a great piece of advice. Awesome. So we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. When you're running a busy restaurant, it's pretty hard to find time for training. Well, Tipsy has a whole library of video courses from industry experts, including world barista champions, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Get your staff watching Tipsy courses and watch their growth help your business. With Tipsy, scheduling training, tracking skills growth, and measuring engagement is a piece of cake. In the hospitality industry, we never have enough time, so training often falls away. But as management legend Andy Grove says, the only two ways to improve performance are training and motivation. Tipsy provides both. Click the Tipsy banner in the show notes to find out more. Because your Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll receive a special 50% off your first month. What are you waiting for? Get on it. All right, we are back, and the first question I have for you in the knowledge bomb section is: What is your it factor? A you know, an it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic, something you believe contributes to your success? Curiosity. I'm fascinated by food, by its importance in our lives, uh, how it affects politics, uh, people. Um, I'm fearless. 
I love it. And I love that you say curiosity because I've noticed that the people in this industry who are really great at what they do never stop learning. And I feel like curiosity just fuels learning and never ending, never ending growth. Um, Mm -hmm. Awesome. So what is your biggest weakness then? My biggest weakness, and I think I've alluded to it, is that I think I'm invincible. You know, uh, I wish I could clone myself sometimes, you know, to have, you know, 25 of me, but then that might be intolerable. <laughs> but that is my biggest weakness. I think I'm invincible, and it's something that I've worked on, you know, most of my life. And also, there's the other part, is I'm not a very patient person, and I've learned in this industry over and over and over, you cannot rush anything. You have to do what you've got to do. And I, you got to go with the flow. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I love that you mentioned uh, just being invisible and trying to do everything and wishing you could clone yourself because I think you can. I think that's mm-hmm. one thing people – what was that? No, go ahead. I'm listening to you. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think some people – and I learned this from David Long from uh, the uh, Built to Lead, a book that he wrote, and we talked about this when he was a guest, is that – um, we try to do it all ourselves, and part of what makes some of us successful is we can't handle a lot. We we can we can do so right. much. Um, that's not me. I don't know how some people do that, but other people. I mean, how they really grow is they start in, uh, duplicating themselves and in, in growing and developing the people that are below them to take on more and to literally duplicate themselves so they can take on more. Do you have anything to add to that? Is that anything that you've noticed? Or is that- no, that is a hundred percent, and that's something that I have done. Um, yeah. I've done, but one of the things like uh, from the conversation that we've had earlier too is the question of learning when to let go and allowing somebody else to run with mm-hmm. it. Um, it took a long time for me to get to that point. Yeah. You know, uh, when you're first starting out, um, you're terrified because you're, you're just like, oh my gosh, something, you know, I'm not going to succeed. And you're not willing to give, to hand it over to somebody else. Yeah. So it has, it has a lot to do with trust. It has a lot to do with training. It has a lot of knowing who you are in bed with, you know, basically who's your partner and go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and real quick with the patients, have you become more patient with time? Are you a more patient person now than you were in the past? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been a life lesson since forever, since I was a child. And <laughs> it's a lesson that the universe keeps throwing at me no matter which way I look at it. And, how, and how, yes. How have you evolved? Like, what's one thing you do differently now to be more patient? I've actually learned to take things in stride. And this is another one of my mantras is basically be still and know. Mm-hmm. And I've really embraced the um, the understanding that Everything that we see is not really what's always happening. We don't understand what's going on. So you have to get quiet. You have to really get quiet and really listen. Mm. And you'll start to, the answers will flow. And I've also learned in my own life, too, is that the more you fight against it, the more um, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, uh, pulls away from you. Mm -hmm. So the more you slow down and the more you really pay attention to what's going on and listen to that voice inside you that is telling you, you know, not the negative voice, but that little voice that's telling you to move forward and mm-hmm. giving you your, your push, um, it's going to give you the right direction. It's going to tell you where your path is going to go. And I've learned how to do that. You know, I'm not perfect at it. I never will be. I'm a human being. But I try to grab that more and more and more. And I think we need a lot of that, um, all of us, Love all it. of us. I love mm-hmm. it. Awesome. What is one piece of advice you have for leading others? The number one thing that I believe that you have to do uh, to lead others is listen more than you talk, uh, than you speak. 
people tell you who they are. You just need to listen and then help them find their own solutions. Don't impose your solutions or don't impose what your thought processes are because they're not you. Mm-hmm. So if you can find and get to their core and then work at their core, they're going to become more endeared to you and they're going to work towards the same project and you're all going to come on to the same page. So it's listen more than you speak. I love it. What is one question or thing that you look for during an interview? The number one thing I look for is are they engaged with going on, with what's going on? Um, are they too nervous? Are they fiddling? Are they fidgeting? Are they uh, looking at their phone? Or did they completely ozone out? Uh, you can tell, um, you know, the eyes are the windows of the soul, and you can tell a lot by people um, through their eyes and through their body language. So that's what I look for. Not so much what's coming out of their mouth, more as to what the whole package is doing. Yeah. So what's one current challenge you see your clients having right now and how are they dealing with it or what's your advice for them to deal with it? Well, the number one um, challenge in the industry in general, you know, I've heard some of your other podcasts and everybody's talking about the minimum wage um, situation. That's not the number one challenge. The number one challenge is that there's a shortage of qualified workers. Yeah, you know, and people who want to work. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I wonder sometimes. I agree with you that there isn't that there, the 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 supply does not meet the demand. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I I sometimes ask myself: Is there a shortage of people, or has the industry progressed in the fast the last few years that the demand is higher? No, I think it's a shortage of people. I yeah. think what has happened is that with the advent of culinary schools and and don't get me wrong because I love the Food Network. Well, I used to love the Food Network. <laughs> um, you know, it was great when it first started. Um, but the Food Network has, and all the different cooking shows, has turned this into a romanticized version mm-hmm. of what the industry is not. So when they go to the, the, the proprietary culinary schools, they go in and the first thing they think, well, I'm wearing a white jacket, I'm a chef. Yeah. They forget that it takes years you know, to make your bones. It takes years before you're actually given the honor of being a chef. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is they come out, they go to a restaurant, they get a job, and they expect to be the sous chef. Mm-hmm. They forget they should start as a dishwasher or a prep cook. Mm-hmm. You know, and they don't really understand the backgrounds of uh, chefs like real chefs like Thomas Keller, mm-hmm. you know, who was a dishwasher for a long time, was a prep cook for many years in France before he was even allowed to make salad dressings. Yeah. So, you know, those are the things that I see um, contribute to the shortage of, of, of uh, employees. Nobody wants to work for minimum wage. Nobody wants to work, you know, washing dishes. It's not the glamour that they were looking for. Now, one of the other things that uh, this industry has always been very um, dependent upon are immigrants. Mm -hmm. Food has always been the first window for immigrants to be able to make money, Uh, whether they were cooking for their fellow, uh, you know, countrymen in a strange country, you know, while everybody went off to work, or that they went into restaurants in the back door and and worked. Mm -hmm. So that's the situation. It's like uh, the inability to offer employment to people because of a fear of repri- uh, reprisal. Yeah. You know, so there, there's a lot of different things. Yeah. I think sometimes people forget that we, this, this nation was built off immigration, and they forget. Yeah, and- we're all immigrants. There isn't one person here in this country 
that didn't come from somewhere else. Yeah, and I'm only, you know, two decades or like one decade, like my great-grandparents came here, you know, like I'm only Mm -hmm. like only a few generations removed from that initial wave Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. inside of my family. So people forget, you know, and, and it's... Uh, this is a whole. Uh, we will get way off topic. Oh, I know this could right. be a whole. This yeah. could be another ten years of conversation. Um, but, <laughs> but even when you go back to culture and people getting removed from what food is, it's, I, I love immigration because of uh, it, it. Kind of it reprimes us with culture because they came from someplace that had that culture, you know. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing all these different uh, types of restaurants out there. People wanting to share their culture with mm-hmm. this land, and um, I don't know. Like you said, it's a conversation for another day. But <laughs> I'll, I'll wrap it up just really quick. One of the best ways to travel and one of the cheapest ways to travel is to go eat in a restaurant of a person that you know nothing of their culture. Absolutely. Awesome. Go eat Italian. Go eat Lebanese. Go eat Persian. Go eat Chinese. Go, But not, not Americanized, okay? Not bastardized. Go eat where the culture eats. I love it. So if you see the patrons, everybody is Chinese, then you know you're going to eat true food. Yep. Great stuff. You know, if everybody's Japanese, you're going to eat true food. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if everybody's white, and I know this sounds really bad, but the, the reality is it is what it is, uh, then it's been adjusted. The food has been adjusted, mm-hmm. you know, for, for people. So, okay, so you can't afford to go to China. Well, then go to a Chinese restaurant where the people are really Chinese and, and, and they're cooking true food and, and ask questions. Yeah. Exactly. I love it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is one thing besides food you see restaurants doing well that separates them from other restaurants? I think one of the things that uh, should be done is educate on the history. Don't just throw the food on the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, understand what, tell a story. There, there is a story behind everything that we cook and we eat. And, you know, in the food world, everything's already been done. Nothing's been done again. What we are is perfecting. But this all comes back from the beginning of time, you know, when uh, people were cooking before uh, food got standardized and regimented. So I think if you educate and you tell a story, you engage, and then, you know, your, your customer, and what ends up happening is that customer is going to come back because it's an experience. Mm-hmm. It's an absolute experience to go ahead, and um, they're getting knowledge without realizing they're getting knowledge. They just want to come back because it's so engaging. And you're tapping into their higher needs. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. enough just to feed people and provide sustenance. Like when they feel like they're learning something new and they're, they're improving themselves personally, by right. you know associating themselves with what you're doing in your restaurant it will make them feel better about themselves so uh, I couldn't mm-hmm. agree more with you so um what's one book we must read um and this might be a good time for you to talk about your book <laughs> uh, <laughs> that will help us be a better restaurant owner Okay, well, basically, this one has nothing to do with the food business, but it has everything to do with a personal treasure or um, a dream. And for me, there are two books. They go hand in hand, uh, The Alchemist and The Warrior of Light by Paul Coelho. Uh, the Alchemist is about a shepherd who uh, travels through his life experiences in search of a personal treasure and how he realizes it. And then The Warrior of Light is like a daily devotional that reflects on how uh, we're all warriors. Every day we get up, we put on our battle gear, and we go out and we fight the good battle. Um, and The Warrior of Light sort of gives you insight into how to fight 
a battle of light versus a battle of darkness, how to look at everything from the positive side versus the negative side. They're very deep. They're, they're, they're simple, simplistic in sense, but it's very deep as far as uh, learning about yourself and, and understanding your why. Oh, I love it. And that was The Warrior's Light and The Alchemist? The Alchemist, by, and it's uh, Paul Cohello. He's a Brazilian um, author. He's very, very famous. In fact, The Alchemist is one of the, I think, top five books that have ever been written around. It's really kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, both of those books, it's Warrior of Light. Is that the second mm -hmm. book you mentioned? Okay. Um, and The Alchemist, both those books are on Audible. And I uh, have to admit, before starting this podcast, I, I never really finished a book until mm -hmm. I discovered audiobooks. And it's changed my life. It can change your life. And I've partnered with Audible. Head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable to get one of these books for free if you haven't already signed up. Uh, oh, that's cool. That's really good. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's great. Thank mm -hmm. you. Uh, all right. And then you said about my book. My book is a oh, cookbook. Right. Then, yeah, the title just and, – and this isn't something that's going to make you like better. This is just really uh, – it, it, it's a story. It's basically a story of, of my marriage crumbling and me cooking through the entire process how I use the kitchen to actually heal me. Great. I'll have that in the show notes as well. And this is mm -hmm. episode 247. Uh, so head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 247. You'll find all those links right there. And let me ask you about technology. Um, how are you seeing technology improve the restaurant industry? Um, this is a controversial topic, so I'm interested in what you have to say. Well, actually, I look at it from a point of view as a business person. It's necessary to have technology, okay? Um, you have to have some form of accounting. You have to have some form of inventory. It doesn't matter how uh, simplistic or how uh, complicated. Uh, what really is important is that you understand it. Mm -hmm. The majority of people who go into this business have no, into, these, into the restaurant business, have no business background, mm -hmm. and they're flying by their dreams and their passion, and then they get screwed, basically, through money. Yes. You know, they... Are there any inventory or accounting platforms that have caught your attention that you can recommend? Um, no, I really don't um, do any type of recommendation, only for the simple fact is that uh, I think everybody's got to find their own yeah. uh, way. Um, I can say, oh, yeah, use QuickBooks, but you look at QuickBooks and it's intimidating for some people. You know, maybe somebody needs to just have a, an old-time accounting pad, you know, and, and be putting numbers in. Now, my deal, what, what I really want to recommend is that they get some type of business education, mm -hmm. that if they're going to go and take classes anywhere, go to your local college and take business classes, take an accounting class, take a finance class, take a marketing class. Um, so that you can understand, you know, Just reading a P&L. basic class so you can get an understanding of it. And then that will help mm -hmm. you use the tools at your disposal better once you get the big picture. Right. Um, Have the language. And I'm curious, um, being an entrepreneur, uh, you know, running the unique lifestyle that you run, are there any tools you're using in your personal life that have helped you be more efficient, more productive, and more profitable? Um, well, I am very much te um, technologically savvy. So for my catering side, I use Caterees. Um, I do use the full Windows suite, you know, Microsoft suite. Okay. Um, basically, graphic programs. I mean, there's a lot of different things that I use uh, across the board. Uh, I couldn't live without a computer at this point in time. You know, there'd be no way. 
whole bunch of work gets done on there. Yeah. So, and there's so many different programs and so many different things that you can do. What you graphic know, so. tools are you using? Being a marketer and being strong in that area, like what graphic tools do you recommend? Um, basically Adobe. Uh, you know, I also write, uh, you know, uh, Java and all of the wow. HTML and those types of things as well. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, well, again, you have to remember my background is in business. Yeah. So I have a very uh, deep understanding of business and I stay on that because not only do I, I teach people how to be in the food world, I also teach them how to do their businesses. So I teach them about contracts. I teach them about, you know, how to get a lease. I teach them how to negotiate. Mm. Uh, so I go on throughout the whole thing. So I'm always on top of all of that. Mm-hmm. With all the knowledge you have now, Arlene, if you could go back in time and give yourself, your past version of yourself, one piece of business advice, what would it be? Be certain of who has your back. Why is that so important? Because that's where you can get screwed. Mm -hmm. Basically, if you're not on the same page, that's where things can become a world of hurt. Mm -hmm. You just want to make sure, and as far as you can be sure, you know, because you won't know until you're actually, you know, deep in the, in the ditch. But trying to be very, very certain of who you surround yourself with. Um, if you have a bunch of naysayers around you, you're going to have a, neg- a negative mindset. Mm-hmm. If you have too many Pollyannas, you're not going to be able to really see, you know, any danger coming your way or any, any type of negativity coming your way. You have to make sure that you have somebody um, or a few people that you can bounce ideas off of that are going to energize you when you're down and you can energize them when they're down. You need to make sure that you are surrounded by people who are going to push you forward and not drag you down. I could not agree with that more. And I mean, I not to give myself a little plug here, but that's why I love podcasts like Restaurant Unstoppable. I listen to a ton of podcasts and mm-hmm. surrounding yourself with positive people. You don't have to be with them side by side. You can literally do it by just hitting play and listening oh, to the stories. True. And it, there's so many resources out there right now. And um, I mean, Restaurant Unstoppable is just one of many of the the formats where we can listen to, to successful people and surround ourselves with amazing people. So mm-hmm. um, awesome stuff. Uh, what's one question uh, you think should be added to this interview that could add value? Well, one of the things that you don't ask everybody um, is why do you keep doing what you're doing, you know, what you're doing? Why do you keep doing this? Why, you know? <laughs> why do you keep doing it, Arlene? I keep doing it because it's in me. It's like I said, it's in my blood. Mm. Um, I, uh, I believe that I have a lot to give, and it's not that I believe. I know that I have a lot to give. I've given a lot, and I don't think I could do anything else. You know, I've gone uh, back and forth between the corporate world where I make, you know, tons and tons and tons of money uh, to being where I'm at today where, you know, it's a comfortable living, but it's not tons of money, but I'm happy, and I know that I'm doing good in this world. That's what's the most important thing. I know I'm doing good, and I'm helping people realize their dreams. Mm. There's nothing better than doing that. And here's the, the big part. The big part is everything is a chain, and I'm just part of that chain. So when I teach somebody, they're going to go ahead and teach somebody else. I love it. And that person's going to teach the next person. So the chain continues. It never gets broken. That's why I do what I do. 
awesome, Arlene. Really awesome. And I have a special question that I don't typically mm-hmm. ask everyone, but I think this would be a great question for you. And that is, as a consultant, as somebody who has uh, waves of people coming to them for advice on how to start a restaurant, what's one thing you see that is most common where people go wrong or aren't prepared in a certain way? Like, and what's your advice for them when you see this one thing that happens repeat- repetitively? Oh, the number one thing is that everybody wants to do everything large scale and everything brand new. And the first thing I tell everybody is start small. Start small and self-fund yourself. Um, really tiny. You can always grow big. But if you start large, there's something wrong when you have to go small. Yep. There's, you know, you always want your assets to outweigh your liabilities. Exactly. Um, Start small and you'd be surprised. I'll give you just one quick story. I had a gentleman come to me. He was from Croatia and he said, I have $35,000 chef. I want to go ahead and open a business. And I go, okay, well, what is it that you want to do? And he says, well, I want to do Croatian food. And I said, so where's your customer base? And he says, well, everybody loves uh, Croatian food. And I looked at him and I said, really? He says, yeah, everybody at work, I give them the food and they eat my food. And I go, yeah, but what makes you think they're going to pay for it? And he became very upset with me. And he was like, well, I can, I know that everybody's going to love my food and there's this restaurant I want to buy, but I only have $35,000. And I just looked at him very, very, you know, straight in the eyes and said, give me your (laughs) $35,000. There's no need for you to go ahead and try to open a restaurant when you don't know where you're going or what you're doing. So that's what I find the most. Most entrepreneurs come in, or most people who want to be an entrepreneur, they come in and they have this dream, but they have no understanding of what the marketplace is like. Mm -hmm. They have no understanding as to who their customer will be. They They want to see a beautiful kitchen. Um, they want to see this beautiful restaurant, and they think that as soon as they open the door that it's going to get rushed. Mm. They don't plan that they really need to understand that the first six months, you may have nobody in your doors. Mm -hmm. Fine. And the other thing... Sorry, go ahead. No, and the one other thing I want to mention, the other thing that I find that a lot of people do is they spend all their money on the build-out, they forget to keep money for inventory, Mm -hmm. and they forget to pay themselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All incredible advice. And just listening to you talk, um, you, you need proof of concept. Let's go back to what you were saying before. Like, mm-hmm. If you think you have a good idea, go test the market. And there's tons of ways to do it. Um, do a Kickstarter. You know, that's one way. Like, just because if people like farmers market or farmers markets or but like a farmers market to start um, or pop-ups go to somebody who mm-hmm. has a restaurant when they're closed during their off hours on a Monday uh, do mm-hmm. a pop-up where you just test your your concept and if it seems to be taking you know uh, if it seems to really be picking up momentum uh, another way to really kind of prove that concept is with the Kickstarter because if people will back you if they believe in what you're doing and they're excited about it and if you can't get the money well guess what there's a good chance that maybe you didn't have a great concept. Um, that's, that's true. That's very true. But I think it's even more um, basic than that. It's going in and seeing if people want to eat your food. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's you know, because, ways. you know, people could say, you know, remember Kickstarter and uh, GoFundMe are all based on family and friends. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and everybody that you know. 
um, and they're going to most of the time support you. And you need to go out. They're not the ones who are going to come to your restaurant every day. That's true. Okay? That's true. You've got to find out who's going to eat there and why they're going to eat there and why do they want your food. So one of the best ways is, you know, getting it out there, the pop-ups, right. good idea, yeah. catering, you know, whatever, doing something that you can understand. Yeah, they're going to eat my food. And now I can go ahead and move forward. Yeah, I love it. Great stuff. Um, all right, that's it for today. We're going to wrap up. We wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who's one indie restaurant professional you admire and think would be a great guest mentor on the show like you've been for us today? It's a hard thing for me to do because I know a lot of people and I don't like to point out just one person. Um, so uh, I'll give you two people who are just very well known. Um, and I, I'm going to go ahead and say uh, read their books. Uh, Thomas Keller I already mentioned once and uh, Nancy Silverton I actually learned to bake with Nancy Silverton uh, she was a James Beard um, winner uh, in 2014 uh, for uh, baking and she is um, really a, her story is great on how they started you know her business and the same thing with Keller how he started in the business and I think it's a, a, a nice way of finding out and both of them are true American chefs you know, they're real chefs they're, they're real, um, you know, Nancy being a baker and then um, Thomas being a, uh, a culinary um, powerhouse, well, as it is. I will launch this episode at their people, and if I get a bite, I will let you know. Thank you for calling them out. Look out, Thomas Keller and Nancy Silverton, I'm coming after you. And let the folks at home know how we can connect with you, Arlene. Well, basically, you can get me through Alchemy of the Hearth, uh, uh, culinary school. You can Google it. Uh, it's uh, Alchemy of the Hearth. H e a r t h dot com. Um, I can also. My phone number is seven six zero two three three two four three three. Email is admin at Alchemy of the Hearth dot com. You can also Google me, Arlene Lloyd, and uh, you'll I'll come up all over the place. And uh, from there, and like I said, I am dedicated to helping people realize their dreams, whether it is a restaurant or whether it's creating a product, whether you're writing a cookbook. Um, it doesn't matter. I, I will guide you and lead you to where you need to go. Awesome. This is episode 247. So if you're scrambling to find a pen or remember all that stuff we just got hit with, don't worry. I'll have the links in the show notes and the, everything that was shared today, a summary of today's discussion, uh, right there, 247restaurantunstoppable.com slash 247. Arlene, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today to be a guest mentor. There's no questioning. You are unstoppable. And thank you, Eric. You're unstoppable, too. Thanks. <laughs> Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. <laughs> There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you guys enjoyed it. So a couple of things before I let you go. I'm now offering free one-on-one 15-minute chats. If you want to get inspired, if you need to get just a little motivation, or if you have some questions about some of the things we talked about on the show, you can now chat with me for free 15 minutes. Head over to Restaurant Unstoppable to find the links. Don't forget that we have a complete list of all the books and resources our past guests have recommended. These are the books they read, the resources and tools they're using in their restaurant, the tools that are helping them be successful a whole list archived right there at restaurantunstoppable.com 
Don't forget to use my links if you really want to give back to the show. If you want to show your appreciation for all these episodes I'm putting out, the best way to support the show is to simply use my links when you discover something new that can help you in your restaurant. Thank you in advance. Also, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. And I can't finish without reminding you to keep those emails coming. I love your emails. They fire me up. They keep me going. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me what you love about the show. Tell me anything. I'm here for you. Just shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. All right, that's all we have for today. I hope you're enjoying this journey as much as I am. Thanks again for joining me. Until next time, peace out. 